Thank you for checking out the podcast of Eastern Assembly of God in Baltimore, Maryland. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us at www.easternassembly.org. So this morning, if you go ahead and bring up uh, the, the message, if you will, there are um, notes in your bulletin. You can also go to our church app, or you can just listen. We're going to begin an Easter series called Simply Jesus. Because if someone were to ask me, what's the bottom line of what Easter is all about? Simply? Simply Jesus. And this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus' forgiveness. And that may seem like old hat, but this morning I want to remind you of it because I don't ever want it to become old hat. I want you to remember what Jesus did for you. Can you say amen? amen. You see, the problem with a lot of us, or some of us, is we don't really think our sin was that bad. I mean, we can point to somebody and say, man, they were deep in sin. Me, yeah, I, I sinned, but... In order to appreciate what Jesus has done for you, you have to really face the fact that you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Come on, somebody. Amen? What is sin? And I, and I got ahead of myself there. Scripture tells us all have sinned. What is sin? Sin is disobedience to what God says is right and wrong. It's going my own way. The bottom line is it's rebellion against God. Let me use myself as an example, all right? So let's say that God began to hold me accountable for my sin at age eight. We don't really know what that, what that age is. I know I was raised in church, heard right and wrong, uh, not a gospel preaching church, but I knew right and wrong from a pretty young age. So let's just say eight. I got saved at the age of 18. So how many years was God, was God tracking my sin? 18 minus eight is 10. All right, for 10 years. And let's say that I only sinned eight times a day. Now, I think that's a pretty low figure because sin is not just what I do in, in going against God's laws. That's sin of commission, but there's also that which God wanted me to do and I didn't do. That's the sin of omission. Let's be honest for a moment. Some of you, before you were saved, you used God's name in vain more than eight times a day. Boy, it got real quiet in here real fast, all right? So, so... Now, the other thing to understand before we kind of tabulate that, we'll get to that, is that God hates every sin. There are no misdemeanor sins. Every sin in God's sight is a, is a felony. Now, there are greater consequences involved with certain sin, but God hates them all. You say, well, Pastor, what do you, what do you mean by that? All right, what do you mean by there are greater consequences with some sins? All right, well, um, how many of you know, first of all, that temptation is not a sin? It's not a sin to be tempted. Was Jesus tempted? Did he sin? No. Some temptation is, comes from the outside in. It's the enemy's attempt to get you to sin. But if you reject the temptation, change your thoughts, which really is what repentance is. I'm not going down that road. I'm going to change my mind about that. That's repentance. Think of something else. You haven't sinned. If you grab a hold of that temptation, coddle it, Think about it. Let it arouse emotion. Now you've crossed the line. Okay? How many know you can repent of that? But here's what I mean by consequences. Okay, let's say that at your workplace there is a, a woman who flirts with you. You're, you're married. She flirts with you. 
And let's say at some point you entertain the thought of what it might look like to have an affair with her. Is that sin? Yeah. But let's say it scares you. Like, I don't want to do that. I love my wife. I love my family. So you back off from that. You repent. Okay, you, you have sinned. But think about this. If you have a full-fledged affair with her, are the consequences of those two going to be different? Yeah, because now you've not just sinned against God. You've sinned against your wife. You've sinned against your kids. You've sinned against her. The, your family who looks at you as a Christian example. Uh, you know, there's just much greater. Everybody understand that? Yeah, God hates all sin, but there are greater consequences to some sins than other sins. All right, so getting back to me as an example. Let's say I committed eight sins a day from age eight to 18. Eight sins a day times 365 days in a year times 10 years. We're forgetting about leap year for this illustration. That equals 29,200 felonies. Now, picture me standing before an earthly judge with a rap sheet of 29,200 crimes. First of all, the judge would look at the thickness of that book and say, are you kidding me? Okay, what would the judge do with me at that point? Yeah, yeah. I, I know we live in a culture where people get away with a lot, but I don't think at 29,200 I'm getting away with that, right? Listen, people wonder how God could say to somebody that stands in front of them, depart from me forever. They underestimate the rap sheet that they bring before God. I'm gonna try that on this side. You hear what I'm saying? People say, how could God declare me guilty and, and, and throw me away from his presence forever? You underestimate your rap sheet. But I've got some good news today. And the good news is this. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone. Everybody say anyone. Anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So here I was at age 18, walking around with this long rap sheet before God, and, and something happened that really caught my attention, and here's what it was. I was going to Penn State University. I was working at a Rite Aid, and one Friday night, I got off work at 9.30. I heard somebody was having a party. I got there, and I was behind. So I decided I'm gonna catch up. I drank way too much, way too fast, and I woke up the next day with my first ever hangover. And I asked myself this question. Is this what life is? Work hard all week, study hard all week, go find a party, do things you regret, wake up Saturday morning and say that was stupid, and then you do the same thing over again. Anybody been there and done that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you haven't figured this out yet, listen, sin will always take you further and do more damage than you ever intended. I'm gonna try it again. Let's, 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 this is a good spot for a hearty amen, all right? Sin will always take you further and do more damage than you ever intended. Amen. How many of you found that true in your life? Not only is that true in our lives, but that is true in our culture. As our culture pushes God away, we're seen. You say, well, give me an example, Pastor Ed. Thank you for asking, all right? Um, just recently, all right, this, this is very recent, a 14-year-old girl in Vermont spoke up when she had to share a locker room with a male student who had joined the girls' volleyball team. And so she finds herself undressed in front of a male. And she was very uncomfortable with that. And can I just say that any 14-year-old girl who was raised in the proper way ought to feel uncomfortable undressing in front of a 14-year-old male in a girl's locker room where it ought to be a safe place? Hello. So she complained. She said, hey, 
I shouldn't have to be in a locker room with a biological male. What was the school's response? What did I just say earlier? Sin will always take you what? Further. Okay, what did the school do? The school said you have to take a restorative justice class and apologize to the male student. When she refused to do either, she was expelled for five days. Her father, who was a soccer coach in that school system, went to bat for her daughter and said, this is craziness. He was fired. Okay, I want you to think about that, all right? There it is. That, there was the article, okay? Uh, sin will always take you further. How many of you look around at our culture and say it is crazy, the things that are happening and the things that are believed? Come on, is it just me? It's his principle. It's true in your life. It's true in our culture as well. Now think of it from God's perspective. God looks, looked at the world, and he didn't just see my 29,000 felonies. He looked at this world, and God could have easily just said, you know what? I'm cashing you all in. You're all gonna stand before me, and I'm gonna dispel you forever. But there's something about God when he looks at our lives and says, I didn't create you to go down the path of sin. I created you to walk with me. And here's what God did. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Come on, somebody. How many of you were here two weeks ago when Dr. Paul I was in the house? If you were not here, please go back and listen to that message. It's on Spotify. It's on podcasts. You can watch it on our YouTube channel. It was a powerful message. And to give you just, just there's one point I want to make about that, but Paul I ended up in prison in Vietnam because he loved Jesus. Um, they put him with some uh, political prisoners. What happened there? Yeah, he witnessed to them, and a whole bunch of them got saved, so they moved him to a felon prison and did the same thing, a bunch of them. They didn't know what to do with Paul I, so they put him in a prison that was intended for female prostitutes. And I think the idea was, we're gonna get him to fall. We're gonna get him to commit sin, and then that'll shut him up. So he tells the prostitutes, did you know Jesus loves prostitutes? Yeah, one washed his feet, and he, he said, your sins are forgiven. And, and, but, but the other way they tried to humiliate Paul I is they gave him an unthinkable task. All the women urinated and went to the bathroom in this large vat, like an above-ground vat. And Paul I's job was, to, with his bare hands, to clean out that vat. Listen to me. The vat of this world's sin and its aroma going to heaven was worse than the vat in that female prison. I want you to think about that. As God looked at this world, the smell, the aroma of sin going to heaven was worse. And yet in spite of that, listen, they made Paul I do that. No one made God send his son to this, this world. You hear what I'm saying? It was his choice to leave heaven and come to this world. And he didn't say, clean up your act first. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for, it, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And just as Paul I's hands scooped up the filth of this world, our Savior gave his hands. Come on, to take upon himself the sins of the world. Go ahead and put your hands together this morning. What did Jesus do when he got to this world? I love Acts 10.38, it says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth 
with the Holy Spirit and power, how we went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. You know what's amazing about Jesus? If I was Jesus and I came to this world and it's the world smelled in my nostrils like the sin that it did, I'd have said, you're all guilty and you're all going to hell. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went about doing good. Did he see you were sick? What did he do? Saw you need forgiveness? What did he do? And what did the world do to Jesus in spite of that? Yeah, talk about the depravity of man's sin. They took Jesus who had never sinned and they crucified him. But here's the point, listen. Do you understand that what was done to Jesus should have been done to you? Do you understand that Jesus was guilty of no sin? You were guilty of all sin. And the Bible makes it plain that the wages of sin is death. And I'm stuck. Help me out there. I need to get to the next slide. If you're up there, help me out. Thank you so much. That the wages of sin is death. So here's a question for each of you today. Do you want to pay the penalty for your own sin? Or do you want to look to Jesus who took your penalty upon himself. I'm gonna try that again. You really have two choices. Number one, I can hold on to my sin knowing that someday I'm gonna stand before God and give account for it. Or I can run to Jesus, ask him for forgiveness, ask him for a new heart, knowing that he paid the penalty for my sin and say, if you paid it, Lord, I'll take your payment, I'll receive your payment and get forgiven. Come on, somebody. What did they do to Jesus? They brutally punished him. They slapped him, pulled a crown of thorns on his head, whipped him with a cat of nine tails, turning his back into a plowed field, put nails in his hands and through his feet. All the while, his innocent blood began to flow. Come on, somebody. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna sing the first verse, you're gonna, you're gonna answer back nothing but the blood of Jesus, all right? You got that? A little choir practice here, all right? What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Now together. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood. Listen, how, how many of you, when you got saved, like the next day, the grass looked greener? The sky looked bluer? Something was different. Well, friend, with the weight of sin off of you, come on, somebody, with the blinders off of you, everything changed. Ephesians 1.7 says this, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. Look, if, if this is your first time at Eastern, and you came into our worship service and you looked around and you say, why are these crazy people lifting up their hands and singing and, and, and what, what's going on? Listen, friend, when you've been on death row and Jesus delivered you, 
and forgave all of your sin so that he looks at you and no longer are you blackened with sin. No longer are the consequences of sin upon you. But come on, somebody. In his eyes, you're as white as snow. The load has been lifted. Ought that not be enough for you to lift up your hand and say, thank you, Jesus? Shouldn't it be enough to get out of your seat and come to an altar and say, Jesus, never let me forget. I'm so grateful for what you have done. Come on, somebody. As far as the east is from the west, the psalmist wrote, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So on June 3rd, 1979, at a 6 o'clock service at First Assembly of God, invited by a friend, I went in there. And I looked around at the crazies raising their hands and loving Jesus. But something was happening inside of me. I said, I need some of that craziness because I've tried the craziness of this world and it didn't work so good for me. Amen. And at the end of that service, I opened the door of my heart and I asked Jesus to come in and wash away my sin. And in a glorious moment, he looked at my rap sheet with 29,000 felonies, and he deleted all the files. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Listen, if you are in this place today, and you have never opened up your heart to him, or you've wandered for him, from him, can I tell you, there's forgiveness for you today? You don't know what I've done, Pastor. Oh, you don't know what Jesus did. Jesus paid for it all. His final words, it is finished. In other words, the price has been paid so that you can be saved. Amen? So, Pastor, what about if when I mess up after I'm forgiven? What about when I sin after I've received him? Well, the Bible tells us the answer. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How many of you are grateful for forgiveness after forgiveness? Yeah, aren't you glad? Amen? Now, when you receive forgiveness, you received a very valuable gift. Is that true? The Bible says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this it is the gift of God. What ought you to do when you receive a very valuable gift? Treasure it? Take care of it? Come on, somebody. If, if I gave you a wedge of gold right now that you could barely carry, you'd find a way to get that to your car in a safe because you'd know its value. Right? God has given us a tremendous gift in the forgiveness of our sins, in Christ in our hearts. Paul said it this way in Corinthians, thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Now what, what I wanna do in the next just couple of minutes, I wanna tell you three ways that we often devalue his gift of forgiveness. Three things that you can do that show to God you're not as thankful as you ought to be. And as I walk through this, I want you to examine your own heart and get ready for a response. All right, here's number one. The first way that demonstrates you don't fully treasure Jesus' precious gift of forgiveness is grumbling. Grumbling is the opposite of gratitude and thankfulness. Grumbling says, God's given me a raw deal. After all I've done for him, after how good I've been to him, well, I put money in the offering this week, I came to church, I lifted my hands. 
I, I do my best to live for him, but in spite of that, my car broke down. My kids are giving me a hard time. I lost my job, fill in the blank. But I want you to back up for a moment and think about what you're saying. If God gave me what I deserve, if God gave me what I deserve, the lightning would fall through this. this. Come on, somebody. Have you forgotten that God didn't give you what you deserve? He gave you what we call grace and mercy in spite of what you deserve, that what you have is a gift of God? Come on, somebody. When we grumble, think about it. I'm not really that appreciative, Lord. Now, I'm not talking about you come home at the end of the day and your spouse says, how did your day go? It was a rough day and you know, my workmates. I'm not talking about just the personal conversations with you have a friend kind of un- unloaded. I'm talking about just going through life as a grumbler. Know anybody like that? Ever? Come on now, be honest. Be honest, all right? The Bible tells us, look, do not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroying angel. I'm trying to remind you, church, even if you look at your life right now and things are a mess, there's a lot of circumstances. Never forget, never take your eyes off that cross, friend. Never forget the price that was paid so that you could be forgiven and you could be a child of God. I'm telling you, in spite of what you're going through, you have something to be thankful for. That's why the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I read a devotional two weeks ago and was reminded of the story of Horatio Spafford who wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And let me tell you the story behind that. Horatio had sent his family ahead of him to Europe on a, on a trip, on a vacation. And, and so they, they got on a ship. He stayed behind to finish up some business with intentions of meeting them on the way. And so the family took off on the boat and, and partway across the journey, their ship hit another ship. And in spite of Horatio Spafford's wife trying to save the four children who were with her, she was unable to. They all drowned. The wife survived. The wife gets to Europe, sends a message back, we've lost our children. Horatio gets on a boat and heads over the seas to meet his grieving wife. As he goes across the ocean, he is told, this is about the spot where the ships collided and you lost your four children. At that moment, he feels some inspiration from the Lord and he pens the words to this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, picture him on that ship up and down. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed insurance control, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Never forget, it'll help you during life's darkest moments. Come on, somebody. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. We keep our eyes on Jesus, but of righteousness 
peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many know those are a long way from grumbling? Second thing that demonstrates you don't fully treasure Jesus' precious gift of forgiveness is holding on to offense, not forgiving others. I know that some of you in this room have been through unspeakable things that have been done to you, things that were painful, things that were terrible. My heart is pained when I think of what people can do to other people. But did you know that holding on to unforgiveness is a form of torment? When you hold on to unforgiveness, you're holding on to the offense and you're allowing the person who wronged you the most to have a place in your life that they shouldn't have. Say, what's the answer? What do you want me to do? Forgive. Well, how can I do that? You can do it because you've been forgiven. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. You've been given the gift of forgiveness, right? Just share it. You say, well, pastor, I'll forgive when the pain goes away. No, don't wait till the pain goes away to forgive. That may never happen. Forgiveness is a choice, and you can do it because you've been forgiven. Lord, I choose to. Does that alleviate that person of the consequences of their sin? No, they have to deal with God. They might have to deal with earthly authorities. But what you're saying is, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive them. Why? For one reason alone. Because I myself have been forgiven. Come on, is anybody in the house listening this morning? Some of you were here a number of years ago when Pastor Kevin Ramsby was in the house and shared his testimony. He was alone in his home. His family had gone away on vacation when an intruder broke into his home and stabbed him 37 times. He's laying in his home, and the thought comes to him, if you don't get up, you're gonna bleed to death and die. So he stuffed his intestines back inside himself and crawled over to his neighbor's house. At some point as he recovered, he said, I know that I need to forgive my offender. So he made a conscious choice. He talked about it. It went over the news in Detroit. Pastor chooses to forgive the guy who stabbed him 37 times. Other newspapers began to share the story. The Daily Mall, I do believe, is a paper overseas in England. Think about it. His choice to forgive not only freed him, but sends a message. Out of that experience comes a ministry called A Fight to Forgive. This is his book. If you don't have it, you ought to get it. He tells the story. And I say to you, if Kevin Ramsby can make a conscious choice to forgive the guy who stabbed him 37 times with the help of Jesus, you can forgive. Amen? Thirdly, we're almost done. The third way that demonstrates you don't fully treasure Jesus' precious gift of forgiveness is you continue to willingly sin. Please listen carefully. Do Christians sin? Is there forgiveness of sin? Can Christians get caught in a trap where they're willingly sinning? And what would God have you to do? Repent, to turn from your sin. There's grace for forgiveness. There's grace to deliver from sin. But the Bible says this in 1 John 3, 6. I want to talk about it. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. How is that true? It's very simple. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit moved inside of you. Right? 
And when you sin, he speaks up. Hey, you're saved now. You're mine now. Repent. Turn from that. Right? One of, one of the goals is, is, is do that quickly. You, 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 you find yourself, you did something you know wasn't pleasing, turn quick. Lord, sorry. Man, I slipped out of my mouth. Where'd that come from, Jesus? So sorry. Lord, I, I was tempted. What am I doing thinking about that? I'm sorry, Lord. Come on. My pastor used to say it this way. Keep your sin list short. Turn. But what happens when a Christian finds themselves stuck in a sin? Well, the Holy Spirit's gonna cry out. You're gonna reach a point. It's like, it's either that or me. Come on, church. Amen. How many know you can't love Jesus and take sin lightly? When you come to a Christian, you come under conviction. You can't love Jesus and take sin lightly. All right, let me help you understand this. Let's say you have a 25-year-old, okay? Anybody in the house have a 25-year-old son or daughter right around there, 24, 25, 26? All right, I see some hands. They come to you. They say, Mom, Dad, I messed up. Got my first credit card. It was too easy. The bill came the other day. It's $3,000. I'm making $12 an hour, barely making ends meet. Help. Being the merciful and compassionate parent that you are. You decide you're going to bail them out with these instructions. Don't do it again. You pay their $3,000. Or maybe you pay $2,500 and let them bear some of it. Whatever, whatever. A year later, they come back to you. Mom, Dad, help. $9,000 this time. Now listen, now something rises up in you. Look, I, I, didn't, I didn't pay your bill for you to go and do the same stupid thing again. I did it as an act of grace, hoping you would learn your lesson from what you felt when you looked at that $3,000 bill that you couldn't pay in an act of mercy. Come on, somebody. If you don't see where this is going spiritually, let me help you. When you came to God with your debt of sin and Jesus erased it, he didn't erase it so that you could say, oh, this is great. I just need to go sin some more and come back to Jesus and get forgiven. He erased that debt, and then through his mercy, he empowers you to live in a way you couldn't live before. If anyone is in Christ, he is a... New creature, the old is gone, and the new has come. Come on, are you listening? Christians today, way too many, abuse the grace they've been given. Again, when you find yourself in sin, repent. Now listen, I understand why a Christian get, can get caught in a trap of sin. The devil's very good at what he does. He studies you. He knows your weaknesses. Right? If you come to me today and you say, Pastor, help. I have. I, I'm not going to fall on the floor and be like, I can't believe it. I've probably, in, 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 I'm, I'm headed towards 40 years of ministry, I've probably heard about everything there is to hear of Christians getting stuck in sin. I'm just glad that they were honest about it. I'm glad that they finally reached a point where they're like, I don't want this under the covers anymore. I want to get help. I want to get free. That's, that's me. I hope the same as you. Right? I understand how a Christian can get caught in sin, but what I don't understand is why they continue on and on and on because they're too proud to find somebody 
and say, let me be honest about where I'm at. Yeah, did you, did you hear what I said? I, I, I want to repeat this. I want you to understand me. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to look down on you in any way if you come to me as a Christian and say, Pastor, I'm, I am caught. I, I am caught. Whether, whether it be pornography, whether it be whatever. I, I, okay, thank God you're being honest about it. Now there's a chance for you to be free. But friend, what you continue to do on in secret, if you've been struggling for a while, it's probably not going to go away. Humble yourself. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I believe church ought to be a safe place, not only for someone who's never known the Lord to get saved, but for Christians who struggle to get free. Can you say amen? Because sin will always take you further and do more damage than you ever intended. We get to this verse. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces. In other words, I'm done, I'm done. Finds mercy. How about this one in Romans 6:14? For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, don't raise your hand until I'm, until I'm done, say what I'm gonna say. How many of you, since you've been a Christian, you got caught in a trap of sin, at some point you said enough is enough, you confessed to somebody, somebody prayed with you, and you got free. Where are you? I, I, I just wanna encourage somebody. Come on, just, just wave it at me. It's okay. The goal, the goal is to get free. That's the goal. And I believe Jesus wants to do it today. I'm gonna ask something. I'm gonna ask that anybody who's, who's cleared to be a, a prayer worker and our worship team, would you come? Come on, if you are, if you are a prayer team, just, just leave space in the middle, but just get on the sides here real quick. If you've been cleared to pray, I need you down here. ASAP, come on. Just, just, there you go, there you go. And while they're gathering, I want everybody in the house just to bow their heads and close their eyes. Would you listen to me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're looking at your heart, no one else's. The first thing I want to ask is do you know that you know, that you know that you've been forgiven by God? Have you at some point in your life made a surrender to Christ where you've laid your sin at his feet and you know that he's forgiven you and he now lives inside of you? Or maybe you're here and you've wandered. And today is the day of your return. If I'm talking to you right now, I want you to slip out of your seat and get down to one of these people and let them pray with you right now. Come on, come on. You're here this morning. You need to get forgiven. Get out of your seat. One time Jesus was having a meal and a woman came in and began to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. She, she was a prostitute. She, she, she reached a place where she didn't care what anybody thought. She didn't care what all those at the meal thought about her at that moment. She just wanted to get right with God. And she heard Jesus say the words, your sins 
are forgiving you. If that's you today, you need forgiveness. Come on, do not leave this place holding those felonies of sins. Get forgiven. Jesus is able. Run from sin. Run to him. And he'll do it. Thank you, Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here today and you're honest. Pastor, I grumble way too much. As you even talked about it. I I need God to do something to help me to be more grateful. Maybe you're somebody here today. As I talked about getting forgiven, the Lord reminded you there's something you're holding on to that you need to let go of. Or maybe you're here caught in a trap of sin and the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now saying today is the day. If you're in one of those categories, the Lord, you feel the Spirit of the Lord just dealing with you right now. I want you to get out of your seat and come to one of these people and let them minister to you quickly. Don't fight it. If the Spirit of God says you need to go, you need to go. This moment, whether, whether just pray for me, I grumble way too much, I need to forgive somebody, I'm caught, I want to get free, move right now in Jesus' name. Do not delay what the Spirit of God is saying to your heart right now. Do not take these moments lightly. I'm just going to wait 30 seconds because I believe the Spirit of God is in this room. Forget about whether this is for your neighbor. What does God want me to do? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Everybody in the house, come on. If you're here today, and you're grateful that Jesus has washed your sins away. And you just want to get out of your seat and just come behind those who are here in the middle and just spend a few moments of gratitude saying, Jesus, I'm so thankful and I don't ever want to forget. Would you move right now? Come on. Just come this way. Before you go that way, come this way. Lift up those hands. Maybe you've not, never gotten out of your seat before at a moment like this. Today is the day. Oh, Jesus, we want to be a grateful people. We want to be a thankful people. Come on, we'll make room for you. We'll push in closer. Come on, out of the balcony if it's you. Just come. Just come lift up your hands and say, Jesus, I'm so thankful that in your eyes I'm no longer a felon. I'm free. I'm yours. Never let me forget, Lord. Never let me forget, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.